Hi, this is Steve Poor, and you're listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. This week, I spoke with Anusha Gillespie, Chief Strategy Officer at Skillburst Interactive. Skillburst is a company providing on-demand learning to AMLAW 200 firms, global legal organizations, and public sector agencies, among other clients. Having both an MBA and JD from Boston College, Anusha has worked in various functions throughout the legal ecosystem. Law firm practice, academia at Harvard Law School Executive Education, law firm business as the first head of innovation at Evershed Sutherland, and in-house service transformation at the law company United Lex. At Skillburst, Anusha is responsible for the expansion of digital training and upskilling in order to help the global legal industry thrive as technology continues to evolve. In addition, Anusha has received the Fast Case 50 Award for being a visionary and an influencer in the legal industry. Today, she discusses making the decision to pursue business, the benefits of not having a defined job description, the common thread of her career, and how a law firm should approach talent development. Thanks for taking a listen. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. I want to talk a little bit about your own professional journey here in a second, but let's start by giving the listeners some context. What is Skillburst? What is its mission? And what's your role in the, in the organization? Sure. So Skillburst uh, has been around for 10 years. And we provide e-learning. Uh, we're a law firm e-learning partner. Actually, that was the name, law firm e-learning, 10 years ago, how the company started working with the AMLAW 100 and 200 law firms. And we have now expanded um, the client base beyond law firms and globally, but really focused on legal. And the, and the mission of the company is to empower the talent in legal to be successful in um, the environment now and as it's evolving. So that's, that's skill burst and kind of where we operate and, and our mission uh, in legal. And you are chief strategy officer. What does that entail? So we've grown over the years for our client base to include not only law firms, but then recommended to their legal department clients and then within those organizations. And so our client base has expanded a lot. And I came in in April of this year to kind of focus on, okay, are we moving beyond legal? Are we staying in legal? Are we who, who are we as we kind of grow up in this company? And what we found in speaking with our to our clients is that legal is in need of a lot of e-learning and talent kind of progression as things are starting to evolve more quickly. In terms of the strategy, it really is where are we going uh, because there's just opportunity everywhere. And some of that decision-making has led us to launch our Legal Innovation Lab earlier this year. That was to test within legal what's really needed and um, start developing some of that, that learning content uh, and, and help kind of ask the market where we should be going uh, and then lead from there. So in terms of strategy, that's what, it bit, that's what it started as came in. And the world is our oyster. There's opportunity everywhere. Where are we going to focus? That's fabulous. I want to dive into that a little more deeply, but let's, you joined the Skillburst in April of this year. You've had a fascinating career. You got a, was it a joint uh, JD MBA program? Yes, at uh, Boston College Law School and Business School. And you went undergrad to Tulane. I'm t- actually talking to you from New Orleans, so in, I'm in your old stomping grounds. Oh, really? Yes. So you got a joint degree 
and you practiced for a while uh, for a year or so, but you almost immediately moved out of practice, not immediately, but within a year, moved out of practice and began a journey through consulting and through ALSPs and through big law. Tell us a little bit about that career and was it planned or was it, or were these opportunities that came your way that you couldn't turn down? Um, neither. It was not planned and it was not just all this opportunity coming, coming at me. That would have been lovely if that's how it, um, how it progressed. Life, life <laughs> but, is rarely that way, is it? Yes, exactly. Um, it sounds like a nice way to go through life though. So no, I, um, went to school actually in New Orleans since, since you're there, I'll speak to that a little bit. I was there during hurricane Katrina and I saw the anarchy post Katrina and became really fascinated with law. Um, and it sounds so cliche, but how it's this operating system all around us that you don't know is there really until it's taken away. And then you realize all of the infrastructure, the legal infrastructure that you live in every day that, that really rules our society. And so that was my, um, kind of interest in, I did, did do undergrad in legal studies as well, but that, that really, emphasized it. Um, and so I went and I did my JD MBA and my plan was to become a partner at a law firm. And then what happened was I went and I began practicing law. I did commercial real estate finance. And I realized that what I really wanted to do was be in the business of law. And my MBA experience really opened me up to that. I, I felt that I fit with the people in the MBA program more than I fit with the people in the um, law school program, just from a kind of community and way of thinking. And I noticed that. And then when I was at the law firm, I realized it would be 10 years training as a technician before I would then have the opportunity to be a partner. And then actually it was going to be another five years before I would have the opportunity to have any impact in managing the business or doing business of law. And I said, that's a, a long time to do something I don't necessarily want to be doing to then get to what I would like to be doing. And I don't know that I would be developing the skills as a technical lawyer that then are positioning me to be in more of a business and strategy space. And so I said, uh-oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I got to do something else. Um, and I need to do something else quickly because if I get used to this financial stability and lifestyle, then it's going to be harder and harder and harder to change. So... Um, my husband and I moved to the end of the T line, got much cheaper rent, and I just jumped. Um, we reduced our expenses as much as we could uh, to give me the opportunity to find a new space and what I was going to do. Um, I explored a lot in, I applied to Mass Challenge. I had this talent platform in mind as to um, helping people transition in their careers and having a talent platform that would allow them to develop the skills they would need to make those transitions without having to go do an MBA program or go do you know a two-year, three-year degree to change careers. I did not get in, but that was one of many um, failures and learning along the way. But it, it turned into a, a leadership platform, really, for lawyers. And, and that's what opened the door then for my next step at Harvard Law School Executive Education, working with Scott Westfall and, and the crew there, where they were growing their executive education programming, both in terms of attendance and um, some marketing operations, 
bringing in some technology that way to, to grow and scale. But then also in the content of the programs, they were developing a women's leadership program. And so I kind of had that dual capacity of growing the business uh, from an operational perspective, but then also creating new products, new programs and working with faculty to create that women's leadership program, which uh, is still around today. That's a great program they run there, isn't it? It is. What was that experience like? It had to be sort of an amazing learning experience for you as well as one where you got to accomplish a bunch of cool things. It, it really was an inflection point um, in my career. Uh, Scott Westfall gave me this amazing opportunity to attend all of the programming. Um, and so my mindset went from a very regional, um, New England focused you know, mindset to all of a sudden global being in a classroom with 60 managing partners from law firms all around the world, going to the dinners, being with them for a casual conversation, but then also in the actual programming. Uh, and so I got this kind of hack into the global legal mindset of the top leaders around the world. And so, so that really opened my eyes and opened my eyes too to the fact that they didn't have all the answers. And they were, there were a lot of things that they were exploring. And what is this innovation word? And what do we mean by it? And how are we approaching that? And I loved all of the unknowns and really felt that I had a very special experience in, in being part of those conversations. You then made a leap into big law where you went and, and worked in the innovation space and Eversheds. What led you to make that change? I did. I loved my experience at Harvard, but I wanted to run faster. You think of law firms, sometimes people say, you know, aren't, aren't changing too quickly. Um, but you think of a university, Harvard Law School thinks in centuries, not, <laughs> not even five or 10 year plans. Um, and so I just, I was at a point in my career where I wanted to run even faster. And so I called up my network and said, Here's what I'm thinking. And it just clicked that there was this opportunity at Evershed Sutherland. They had just combined. They were organizing around what they were going to do around innovation. So I just got lucky with, with timing and a, um, a connection through Aaron Mazeros. What did you expect and did it meet your expectations or was it different? Now, this is your first time working in an innovation space in a big law firm. I imagine you had certain notions of what it was going to be like and if your life is like most of our lives, some of those were met and some of those weren't met. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, so I, I picked up and moved down to Atlanta to join the law firm. So that was a, a part of the change as well. It was not just moving jobs, but moving my family down to Atlanta for this position. I learned a lot. I think what I was not expecting um, but has made me such a better professional coming out of it is that these things are not defined. The, the role was innovation, but what does that mean? Right. I haven't had a, a real job description since probably my <laughs> attorney uh, job <laughs> right out of, of law school. And I don't, I don't think I fully appreciated what not having a defined job description means. But what I've learned coming out of that uh, is that it doesn't really matter what your title is. It's what 
the what you're contributing to the organization. Um, sure, it matters what space you're operating in, but it's what are you contributing and what value are you delivering? And if you can answer those questions, then that's kind of the point of all of this. And so that was an adjusted in mindset for me because I wanted the checklist of, okay, if I do these things, I will be successful. But I had to define what those things are in a, in a very um, complex and changing environment. So, you know, that's, that's an itch. Let me stop you there. That's such an interesting observation. I've talked to other people as well who've had a similar experience. And sometimes we want definition around, okay, well, you're supposed to go do this and this is how I view success. But in, in, in the world of innovation, I've always found it much better not to be locked into that and to, and to look at it exactly the way you've described it is. There's opportunities here to contribute and to do something different. And maybe we didn't think about it and it's not written down on a piece of paper, but that's cool. Let's go do that because we think that can contribute to the organization. It sounds like a tremendous learning experience for you. It was. And, and that those things, once you all agree that they are cool and that they will provide value, once you get down a path, you might have been wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and so we need to be able to be nimble across that and, and admit that too, versus spending more time, you know, pursuing something that then wasn't quite the right fit. That's difficult for lawyers to be willing to admit they're wrong, isn't it? But that's such a, it's such a key characteristic if you're going to drive innovation. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And actually, this is where I met um, my current company, uh, Skillburst Interactive. I met them when I was in role at Evershed Sutherland because one of our projects, we created projects because I was trying to get across the idea and actually, I think successfully, the mindset of innovation does not equal technology. Innovation equals new approaches, new mindsets, new tools, and, and technology might be a part of that. But let's not start with innovation equals technology. That's not the right approach. And so to kind of show that versus just speak to it, we created innovation projects that were very tech light to pretty tech heavy. And then our middle ground, it's like Goldilocks, <laughs> our middle ground one was creating an e-learning program for uh, oil and gas clients. And that's where I met Skillburst uh, five years ago and enrolled doing that. Uh, one of the other projects you did, you did a data analytics for um, Florida Center for Capital Representation, which I always thought, from what I've read about it, it sounds like such a cool experience and such a great way to contribute to back to the profession. What was the genesis of that? And was it was that as interesting as it's been made out to be? It was. Um, so... The language data I was talking around within Evershed Sutherland. So it's like, if you have a hook, someone then thinks of you. And there was something around data analytics. And one of our BD managers actually put together, she was uh, in a conversation with our pro bono counsel, who was saying something around data analytics for the Florida Center on uh, Capital Representation. And so connected us totally randomly just through the language of, there's something around data analytics. I think you two should speak to one another. And so we did. And it was such a great project. So Fastcase um, actually worked with us as well. And we were able to bring operational expertise. And the center was so appreciative because usually law firms offer attorney time. But in this particular project, the attorney time was spent doing a lot of data entry. And so we were able to streamline a lot of that using 
some tech tools and different ways of operating. And so then the lawyers were able to spend their, I mean, it's a typical story. Then the lawyers were able to spend their time reviewing the results versus doing the data entry anyway. And so then everyone's happier. So it was really great. I had it in mind that innovation, you know, with access to justice and like there should be a big pro bono component of it. And so it was really wonderful that we were actually able to pursue a project in that space. That's awesome. That's awesome. You're right. It's so nice to be able to contribute to that space that's doing great work, but is so overworked, so much work to do and so little time and people to do it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you then, uh, you, you did that for a couple of years and then you go over to United Lex, which is in the alternative legal service provider space. What caused you to make that change and what were the differences you found in the way and either mindset or operationally the way United Lex operated from the way a big law firm operated? Yeah. And I'll, I'll use language, um, that I'm cribbing from Scott Westfall, which is that um, innovation for law firms, it's changing now, but even five years ago, it was very different um, where innovation is not at the core of a law firm, it's on the periphery. And so I was really interested in going to a place where innovation was core to the company. And so that prompted some of the move to United Lex. My experience at United Lex was interesting in that They had just hired uh, a number of PwC executives on this hypothesis that what would happen if you brought a bunch of PwC executives who know operations and know how to scale and put them into a legal services organization um, with the objective to scale the company. And uh, within a a year, those executives had all left uh, because I think it was harder to crack legal than they had anticipated. Um, There were other dynamics as well, but um, it was like a grand failed experiment that I was able to be a part of in in an interesting way. And then from there, uh, I built out our... Actually, one one project that came out of that was collecting all of the knowledge across the different service areas and documenting it for scale um, to have all of our processes documented. And so I was responsible for that. And that was a really illuminating project in that I then had to get pretty deep in all of the different practice areas um, in litigation and contracting and legal ops and intellectual property. And so I just learned a lot about what the different services are and was able to compare and contrast to what a law firm offers because I ran innovation across all of the legal practices at Eversheds too. And so um, was deep in consultation with litigation, with IP, with the different areas. Uh, so it was, it was interesting to have that kind of direct comparison experience. Talk a little bit about your, you're now with Skillburst, which is in the interactive training area. And I want to talk a little bit about, particularly in light of generative AI, how your thoughts are evolving and changing. As you look back over your career as a practicing lawyer, as at Harvard, at Eversheds, at United Lex. What learnings are you relying on now in terms of the role of lawyers, how they should be taught, how they how they evolve? You've got this sort of very interesting mosaic of backgrounds that I think is relatively unique. What threads do you pull on in your current job from your prior experience? So the thread that binds I believe is learning and education. Uh, and, and I say that because 
obviously at uh, HLS Exec Ed, that's what we provided was leadership education and business of law education. But then at Evershed Sutherland in my innovation role, I was teaching a lot. Um, and I would have loved to have been able to teach at scale so that I could actually then spend more time focused on the projects that I was doing. But if you are running innovation internally at a law firm, you have to be in front of your lawyers a lot because they're thinking about other things. And so you get these little sound bites of time to say, here's when you should be thinking about innovation, you know, call me when um, types of learning. And, but then when you engage in a project, there are a lot of areas that would be really helpful if they had some foundational understanding to then be able to engage in innovation in a more substantive way more quickly. And that's important because if it takes too long, then people get frustrated and they're not seeing results and then they move on to something else. At United Blacks, the education was more client education, um, working with legal departments and helping bring them along into the options um, that are now available. And so earlier this year, it's funny you say Mosaic, I did a webinar. I, I um, facilitated it or moderated it with uh, Richard Suskin and Mark Cohen. Mark Cohen of Legal Mosaic. Uh, and, I know Mark. He's a great um, guy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, great guy. And... I asked Richard what he thought with all of the new technology and everything happening, you know, what he thought were, was an opportunity. And, and he said, he mentioned something about education, that there's this prime opportunity to train lawyers, um, in these areas where we have this kind of socio-technical evolution and the tech part's happening. Everyone's making the tech. Everyone's introducing the tech. Everyone's talking about tech. But the socio part, the people part, the talent part, that isn't getting as much emphasis as it might need. And I think people are understanding that now and are much more focused on the talent, on the people, knowing that the other parts, the tech part, isn't going to happen if the people don't embrace it. And so that's kind of what brought me here and, and the space that we're kind of driving and living in at Skillburst. So think back to your time as a, as a real estate finance lawyer, because you said something I want to pick up on, which is one of the reasons that drove you to change positions was you were looking at 10 years operating as a technician, I think was the term you used. And then a few more years before you got into the business of law. I think that's a fairly traditional approach to training lawyers in the, in the practice, sort of an apprenticeship for a number of years doing stuff. We've now seen the advent of generative AI, which is taking many of those tasks theoretically and moving them. How do you see that, whether it's mindset among your law firms or law departments or the actual reality of training, how do you folks at Skillburst see that dynamic training? Because there's an argument, you can't become a really highly skilled lawyer unless you know all the tasks associated with it. Yet some of the tasks are going to be done by software. Where do you go with this? Yeah, and I've um, spoken to a few law firms who even earlier this year thought that in 2024, they would already see reductions in associate headcount because of all of the efficiencies gained. And then a few months later, after running some experiments, said, never mind. And so... As most other <laughs> evolutions and hypes in, in law, it will happen, but I think it's going to be slower than what people thought even six months ago. 
And then you compare it to, you know, the calculator and Excel and people used to do it by hand and long math. And now they're able to use Excel files and calculators and they're still just as confident in their practice. So I think it, it changes, but you still need to know the component parts that go into things. And we'll, we'll see that evolve, but I don't see the kind of traditional training model being disrupted in the next year. What I do see is that especially with the newer associates and newer talent that have been very digital from the beginning, their social skills and business skills are where there are large gaps right now. And so my concern is that with all all of these generative tools and with partners and maybe senior associates relying more on tools than associates, the associate um, kind of client interaction and social dynamics will become even more challenging if they're more isolated. And so I see for them, them getting more and more tech-driven versus people-driven. And that's going to impact their ability to be a trusted advisor, to engage with clients in a way that's more holistic. Uh, and so that's kind of the tension I'm, I'm seeing right now. I suspect that's exacerbated by the pandemic and people operating virtually. Uh, I know certainly in terms of secondary education, elementary education, people worry about that. But from a professional standpoint, from skill burst standpoint, how do you solve for that problem? Is that a training problem? Is that a focused experiential delivery solution on the part of law firms? Because I see, I agree with you. I think that's a, that's a huge issue. How do you solve for that? I think it's putting it into your law firm strategy, understanding as a law firm, our differentiator is our talent. Always has been, definitely is now, will be for the foreseeable future. And so if our differentiator is our talent, then we need to invest in that. Um, And I think the best way to solve for that is through blended learning approaches. It's not a one-size-fits-all Um, And it's hiring a great talent leader um, or professional development leader. Innovation is very engaged in these conversations as well. Innovation and professional development leaders are collaborating a lot right now in helping to create the talent strategy of how to evolve with, with these tools and as everything's moving along. So I think the way to solve for it is to remember your talent um, is your differentiator and then create blended learning approaches that address each one of those kind of critical areas. I know that you, uh, in your role, you spend a lot of time with the market, with law firm leaders, with legal department leaders, with uh, academic leaders. Are you seeing people bring that mindset? What are you hearing from the market in this respect? Yes, I am um, seeing people bring this mindset. And we, um, so we launched our generative AI Fundamentals for Law Firms um, subscription series a couple months ago with a consortium of 11 large law firms. And what was really interesting was that most of those firms brought their professional development and innovation leaders together on this subject. And it wasn't just them either. They were needing to collaborate with IT, with the general counsel, with all of these different people internally. And so I think what we're seeing is cross-disciplinary collaboration. And so people being forced to break out of silos and have these conversations across departments and practice groups to solve for this because it's not easy. 
So yes, and also it's not easy. And so it's taking a lot of time and collaboration, which is not an ingrained behavior in most law firms. And what's the viewpoint from the legal departments? So we um, explored uh, doing a similar model um, that we did with the law firms uh, with legal departments. And the challenge for the legal departments is is budget. Um, So they're working a lot with um, what their human resources and talent and learning departments are offering to them. But then they're having to tailor and customize that learning for themselves. And it's a real challenge. Um, I've had a couple chief legal officers say that they want their law firms to fill in that gap because it is a real gap right now. So I think that's an opportunity for law firms to help them. And then there are circumstances like Microsoft is launching or has launched at this point their academy specifically for their legal department because I don't know what it is that Microsoft sees, but they know that their legal department needs special training and education and have created a whole academy dedicated to it. So while other legal departments are saying, you know, we just are stuck with whatever learning the rest of the organization has and then we tailor it to ourselves, then there's Microsoft over here that's launching this whole academy. So I'm interested in learning more about that and what they're seeing. Yeah, better track down Jason Barnhill for that. Yeah. See, see what he has to say for himself. Exactly. Tell us about the Legal Innovation Lab, which I know you you launched a few months ago now. Yes. What is that and what purpose does it serve? So um, the purpose that it serves is that we launched it and said, um, we know that legal needs new learning mechanisms. But what we don't know is, do you need legal new learning tools? So traditionally, we've developed e-learning. Are there other ways of learning, um, like positive interruptions in your workflow that we need to start thinking about and building? Or is it that the current tools are working, but you need new content? And so we launched the Legal Innovation Lab really to get market feedback on that. Of You tell us what to, to build. Skillburst has always operated that way with law firms, for law firms. We build what our clients tell us to build is some key messaging within the organization. And so we kind of put that signal out. And then what we heard from law firms all day was Gen AI, Gen AI, Gen AI. So we said, okay, I guess that's the direction we're going to go in. But we still have... uh, And that's been a very heavy lift um, in bringing those firms together, launching this uh, very comprehensive survey to understand from them who is the audience in your law firm? What topics do we need to start with? Which are the most critical? And then which can wait a couple of months? Those kinds of things to inform the direction of the series. But we very much have it in mind. We hired uh, Sam Moore as our Director of Innovation and Technology. He has an interesting background as well, actually. And so we have him on board once we figure out, okay, is the next thing more content? Um, or is it a different kind of learning tool? And we'll just keep going from there through the lab. Well, it sounds like I know we've run out of time, so we need to wrap up, but it sounds like you've landed in a really the epicenter of a lot of the issues around generative AI and the practice and the profession. It's got to be fascinating and you're doing some really cool things. So it'll be interesting to watch what you guys do. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate the chat. Thank you for your questions. Thanks for listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Be sure to visit thepioneerpodcast.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform.